This is the Bloomfield College CatCast, an informational podcast made by the students for the students. We'll give you the short and sweet on the latest campus events, college opportunities, and everything cat, along with today's entertainment news and more. Let's get you informed. The developers of the Unity game engine are officially starting a new initiative where any student can be a part of their next journey in game development. Unity is launching its first open projects campaign. The Unity team will develop a few new games over the course of a few months. During that time, each game's source code will be released, free for anyone to toy with and rework to make something truly extraordinary. They hope for this to be a memorable and inviting learning experience for game developers of all skill sets and experience levels. If this sounds interesting, be sure to visit blogs.unity3d.com for more information. For those unfamiliar, Handshake is an application directly tied to Bloomfield College that allows you to apply for internships and work-study opportunities particularly tied to your major. It's an excellent way to hone in on your skills and get a jumpstart on your career. Here are just a few listings from the app that are more than worth mentioning. For music tech majors, Hoboken Grace, based in Hoboken, New Jersey, is looking for a music tech intern for spring 2021. The deadline to apply is January 10th, 2021. Be sure to check the Handshake app regularly for more listings like this. We'd like to take a moment to address the viral and infectious elephant in the corner of the room. The COVID-19 pandemic hit us hard, and very unexpectedly no less. It affected everyone, regardless of age, class, gender, race any of that, in varying ways, mostly negative. While everyone's struggling to maintain a sense of normalcy and working through such an unprecedented time, it's important to gain a perspective on how many other people are taking it and how many other people are being affected by this. I, for one, have seen many people struggle, many people stress over this, the people I care about, people in my immediate family and friend circle that I don't wish to see stressed. It's not easy. None of it is. That being said, the last thing we need is for humans as a whole to drive each other apart. We've got to stick together. As long as we follow guidelines and work to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe, we'll get through this and we will be stronger because of it. That much I can guarantee. Have yourself Every little Christmas Let your heart be light From now on Our troubles will be out of sight Have yourself Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on Our troubles will be miles So today, we've actually got our first ever interview for the Bloomfield College CatCast. And I think we've got a damn good guest to boot. This guest is a Bloomfield College alumni based in Austin, Texas. He's worked with artists such as Neo and King Crimson. He's mixed and mastered with for films and shows such as Run on Hulu and Dear White People on, on Netflix. Excuse me. Even shows like Step Up High Water on YouTube Premium. I'd like everyone to welcome the mixing and mastering engineer, Alberto de Casa. Hi guys, how's it going? I'm really happy to have you here. Yes, thank you for inviting me, man. Yeah, no problem. Seems you got like you definitely have a repertoire. 
<laughs> Thank but, you. Uh, like I said, I definitely think we have a good guest to start off with, you know? Yeah, you, you know, thanks for inviting me. I've been, I feel like I've been at this for a long time. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of names people can't recognize there. Right. I, I definitely think listeners at home could learn a lot from you. And I would hope so. So I've also got a couple of, but there are a couple of people who worked with me in terms of this podcast and who are music tech majors. So they have a little bit more insight into your field. This is, we have Thomas and Jair. Say hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Hey, guys. Glad you you could join us for this. Why don't you guys tell me a little bit about, you know, what grade are you on and what kind of music do you do or what's what's your goal in this? Oh, I think we'd be happy to. Well, in terms of myself, I'm actually I'm actually not a music tech major. I'm actually more in game design. But oh. I do have definitely an interest in mixing, mastering, and in terms of music production and a lot of things that have to do with sound design in general. Awesome. And I'm currently a junior in Bloomfield College. Right on. I'm a senior in uh, music tech and I'm graduating next semester. Um just cool. working on my capstone. Thank you. Just working on my capstone right now and make sure making sure everything's in place. Um, cool. I mostly I mostly listen to metal, but I intern at a studio who mainly does R&B and hip hop and it's just a great experience to get like all different kinds of worlds of music. Cool. All right, all right. What are you doing for your capstone? Um I'm actually doing I'd say it's like EDM style pop. That's what like that's what I've been mostly doing. I've been doing instrumentals, not really I'm not really a vocalist or an artist, but like I have a lot of instrumentals ready to go for capstones. I just have to mix it and master it. Awesome. For me, I've been in college for a while, so I I would say like I'm a senior, but I have like a couple more credits left. Mm-hmm. What I do, what I make now um, is like R&B, pop, anything. Also with a fusion of jazz a little bit. Um, what, ever, ever since I was younger, I used to play the drums and I used to hang out at a lot of like jazz clubs with like my mentor at the time. So I don't really like, I know the notes and I know music theory, but jazz is like something that creeps up in my music like every so often, which is pretty cool. I have a lot of outlets that I can go towards. Right now I do have, like I work with a video production company as like a sound designer and like cool. a um a producer for them. Um also like I run like a little like studio here there like before COVID-19 and everything like that. So uh just music all around is what I plan on doing as soon as I graduate. Awesome. So, let's move on to the first question I have for you. Cool. What would you say is your driving force for taking up mixing and mastering as a career? So when I was younger, I really wanted to just go to college for guitar. Um, uh, you know, I started as a guitar player, and um, my dad had a friend that was doing. He had a production company, and it was mostly doing big events, like they were doing the auto show in Mexico City, where I grew up. Um, so he just sent me, you know, to do an internship for him when I was in high school. And talking with him, you know, I was telling him I'm more interested in the music side. I really don't care for um, for video or, you know, putting for events as such. Um, so he took me across the street from where they were. There was this recording studio that they used for their um, commercials and stuff that they were doing. And, I mean, I must have been like 15 or 16 at the time. And I got introduced into this whole world of like, oh, look at this. This is, you know, it's I can mix music and computers that I was really good at. at you know when I was younger it's like a whole new thing and talking with them I realized like I don't have you know I was a a rock guitar player so it's like you don't have to go to college to learn how to play metal (laughs) like I I can do that you know Um, but I really enjoy creating my own songs and kind of working on the sound design of them and I got to work on a couple commercials um, you know just doing sound design and it was something very different for me and it kind of became like a new songwriting tool and at the time, I was like, oh, this is this is awesome. You can actually make a career out of this, you know. Um, so from that point on, I just wanted to do music tech, and I wanted to study to be a producer. And, you know, I absorbed everything I could as an audio engineer. Mm-hmm. And it kind of transitioned into mixing and mastering over a long period, you know. Because, I, you know, I started, I went to Bloomfield. Um, when I was a junior, I started an internship. So... 
I was just looking for producers that I admire, right? And I was just looking through my favorite records. Who can I get, you know, go with? And I came across Lamb of God's Sacrament, you know, amazing sounding record. And the producer machine at that time, he was in Belleville, which is, you know, mm-hmm. not even 10 minutes away from, from Bloomfield. <laughs> so I hit them up and I was like, you know what? I can come clean bathrooms, whatever you need. Like, I just want to, you know, I want to learn from you guys. Um, so I talked with him and Will Putney, who was his engineer at the time, who is now an incredible engineer. He's nominated for a Grammy now, you know. Wow. And, um, they took me in, you know, we clicked right away. And over there, you know, I interned with them maybe for about a year or two. And then I became their engineer from 2010 to 2015. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a completely different experience. I'm sure we'll get more into it the <laughs> more we discuss. Yeah, I'd say but, so. Um, but at that point, you know, I still had a band and I was still trying to do the band thing. But just working with those guys, it was like, this is this is what I like to do. And this is, you know, where I want my career path to be. Yeah, I actually really admire that kind of passion. Like, it's it's very, it's, the way you described it, it sounded like it, it was very clear that this is what you wanted to do. Yeah, and I admire the fact sure. that you were able to just take that in stride. And I, I honestly think uh, working for a machine puts that to a test. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many interns that come in and go through that place. And um, we always say that machine is like a breeding ground for talent. He's got, you know, Josh Wilbur, engineer for him. He's an incredible engineer. Um, Zach Servini, who is also nominated for a Grammy now, you know, mm-hmm. also was an intern there with me at some point. Um, Will Putney went through that, like Randy Lipoff, like, you know, it's long hours for sure. A I lot bet. of dedication. We were pulling there like 16 hour days to, uh-huh. there was some, there was a couple of records where I will just do like 30 hours straight, then go to sleep a couple hours and then come back and do another, you know, 16 Ooh. hours or 20 hours or whatever. Especially if I had a project and they had a project going on, um, so I feel like that rhythm is just not good for everybody. You know, it definitely weeds mm. out the people that are not as passionate about this. Right. Um, Survival of the fittest in a sense. For sure. And I mean, that, you know, that rhythm is not for everybody. There's, it's, it definitely puts you to the test. Like you, you learn that, is this your passion? Is this what you want to do? Or, you know, do you have all other priorities in life? Mm-hmm. And this is right. not the way. Kind of like puts into question how much you want it, you know? Right, for sure. And I actually also really like the observation you made about how mixing and mastering with with technology like this is can be used as another songwriting tool. Mm -hmm. I actually really like that observation. That's intriguing. Yeah, I mean, it's so different now. You know, I remember even when I started playing in a band, you had to have people in a room together and, you know, actually play together with a drummer to write a song and I mean now um, the guitar player from Crowbot lives a couple houses down from me so he just comes over and you know we can pull up splice, get some beats and start writing on top of that and in a couple hours we have you know the skeleton of a song that might have to take a whole day with a full band or something huh. you know yeah, it must be exciting honestly oh yeah and stuff sounds good you know like y- demos are sounding very professional now mm something interesting too yeah um, i would hope it sounds professional these days yeah but you know like back in the day i remember whenever i was starting like a demo was just you know this is the idea like it doesn't have to sound good it doesn't have like nobody was really caring about mixing a demo it's just mm-hmm. new like it's just we're just putting an idea down so we don't forget it versus now i've heard songs that started as demos and you know most of the demo is a final song <laughs> like it is up to that quality, you know. It must be strange. That that must be a bit strange nowadays. Yeah, but but you know, technology is up there where you can get really good source tones and you know, incredible samples. So mm. many famous songs are just getting built so fast, and you know, they just sound good. It's kind of wild. So, I believe you. I believe you delved into a bit of detail about this, but I would like to see if I can get into a bit more detail. So. After you graduated from Broomfield College, what um, what are the steps that you took to basically net yourself a, to prepare to prepare yourself and net yourself a job in the music industry? 
So I already had a job by the time I graduated because I was working with this producer. Um, I basically, when I was an intern, I learned that it's, you know, you got to become indispensable because there's so many interns behind you that want to take that job. So I had to learn different things that I could do that, you know, will put me at the top of that list. So by the time I graduated, for example, the way that he worked with uh, that particular studio was like, you, you don't get paid. You go there and you learn abilities and then you get paid for those abilities, right? So you can come sit on a couch and you can sit on that couch for three years and not make a dollar. Or you can come and then learn how to edit drums. And by your second session, if you're good at it, you can edit drums and make money, you know. Mm. Um, so you start learning like different things that they need, you know, tuning vocals, editing drums, um, editing bass or what, whatever it is that, you know, that session required, like tuning drums or even breaking down and setting up a session, just knowing your gear, knowing your mics um, definitely helps, you know. Uh -huh. So I, you know, I had some little things like that going on to where when I graduated, I was this producer's right-hand man. So it was really easy to transition into it. Even doing like the, um, for my capstone, I did um, a record over there at that studio. And it was just like, I was there forever. <laughs> I basically set camp and slept on a couch, you know. Uh -huh. um, but for me, it was more like my last semester of college. I was more like somebody that's already having a job and having a routine and studying at night more than I was a student, you know, having an internship, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. I see. So basically you're definitely preparing yourself beforehand. Like you yeah. already had the stepping stones. Right. I mean, I've definitely learned that this industry is doggy dog. So mm -hmm. if you're not going for it and, you know, taking right now that if you're in college, you don't have that many responsibilities as later in life will come. So you can just make all the sacrifices you can and, you know, really push yourself. Right. You have all the time in the world right now. Mm. All right. That's actually very important to think about. The fact that, now, like, people who are younger definitely have more time. So right. to use that time, not necessarily, like, wisely, quote-unquote, but more of, like, preparing for the long haul. Like, right. like sort similar to what you were doing. That's... The way I see it is like you gotta invest in your future, right? Right, exactly. And at this stage that I'm at, I don't have time. I have a wife, you know. I have a mortgage to pay. I can't just go record a bunch of local bands for free to just to get skills because my mortgage won't get paid, you know. Right. So, but when I was 20, like, man, I live in a dumpster if I can do that all day and get the skills so that you know I don't have to worry about that 10 years down the line. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely like investing yourself while you can right okay that's those are those are definitely words to live words to live by very good to know so it's so it's safe it's definitely safe to say that the knowledge you gained from not only from not only from the college but also the, the internships and things that you've done outside of college it's safe to say that those have definitely helped you in terms of your career for sure um especially i feel like so i graduated in 2011 um, and around that time, you know, music production looked a, a bit different. Forums had already started, so you get some engineers sharing their tips and tricks online. Right now, everybody's an open book, and you can, you know, you can join Mix and Masters, and you can join uh, Pure Mix or URM or whatever, and like really, basically, get an internship uh, experience from your home. You know, that wasn't like that back then. Mm. So what you were getting in college and the information you were getting online, it was a lot of these are techniques of how stuff's been done for the past 30 years or so. And for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to a studio and this producer that, I mean, Machine was a legend at that time because he did a lot of uh, metal records and his records sounded different. Like, I, I feel like he was pushing the envelope, right? It was at that point where, like, it was significantly better sounding, where it was like, you know, holy shit, how do you do that? Um, and you can just Google it and be like, okay, you know, like we had to buy DVDs and see the behind the scenes of Suicide Silence and Lamb of God. And, you know, you will pause it and try to catch oh, what mic is he using? What is he doing there? Why is, you know, why is he building a booth where a singer can step and he can sink to the floor? Like we're stuff like that, that now you see it everywhere. Everybody's sharing it on Facebook. But back then it really had to be a, you have to be there to know what's happening. Right. So I think like that was a big path for me. And 
it was, you know, it provided me with a really good experience for sure. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely much harder to do, to just do your research back then. It wasn't really right. that simple. Right. I think there was more noise. Mm. Um, the big guys weren't sharing their secrets as much as they are now, for sure. Right, of course. So it's definitely good for people nowadays to take advantage of what they have since we have the oh, internet sure. as a whole. Yeah, 100%. That's very good. Now, because now because of the fact that you built yourself up in a sense, it seems like you got your name tagged on a lot of big projects. Say working with Neo and King Crimson, for example. I, I just did some research on King Crimson. It's a type of band where... Like, you heard you hear a song on the radio, and you think, oh, hey, that's a pretty cool song. I've heard that a lot. But then you actually go to look up King Crimson, and you're like, oh, wait, that's them? <laughs> oh, yeah, that band is insane, man. There's right. so much history of them. I mean, and I worked with some of the guys in King Crimson before in a side project they have called Stickman. Mm. Um, and I remember Tony Levine came into the studio, and I was just like you know, starstruck for a minute. So I was like, oh my God, you're in so many, like this is one of the best bass players in the world, you know. Right. A lot of bass players can say, oh yeah, I played in a Pink Floyd record. Mm-hmm. And this dude is like right here and we're working together on this, you know, like that was insane for me. And that King Crimson record, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. Um, basically what happened is that it's a record that Machine did, I think it was 2005. Um and so King Crimson is doing like a 40-year anniversary of all their mixes where they're pulling out all the records and they're doing like a 5.1 mix. Um, so those recordings were done in a very early version of Logic and they were stored in DVDs. So I had to basically dig through all of this. And when we took it out, you know, that is just not compatible anymore. And it was a Logic session going into an SSL and, you know, in a nice studio. And we didn't have any of that anymore. So... Mm-hmm. It was a really interesting project because, A, I had to rebuild all these sessions based on what I hear on the original mixes and then remix it, trying to copy what was done so that I could have a clone of what was done. And then Machine came in and we just tweaked on it so that we could have a really, you know, nice updated mix to turn it into a 5.1. Mm, sounds kind of like a pain. <laughs> it is, man. It was, it was a really good lesson. Like, I've never mixed like that it's so hard because you're going against your instincts you know mm-hmm. like i know i want my kick drum to sound like this and it's like that's not what this was you have to make it sound like that you know right yeah so that's a very very complicated um, listening experience for sure yeah you gotta make so. sure you know which guitar player is in which side this effect seems like it's been moving this way you know back in the day when they were mixing on consoles like this it was a performance right like the ssl had a it was like a console that had automation and you had the producers writing this stuff and playing with um, with the faders and with pants and stuff as the song is going. So you have to listen for those things and replicate it now in the box. Right. So it's, you know, it's it's interesting. It was a very cool project for sure. Right, I imagine so. Now, I asked that to also ask, like, since that, like, that's definitely a cool project, but it's like, it must have been, since you're, since you're working with like a big artist like that, it must have been kind of nerve-wracking a little bit. So I wanted to ask how you basically prepared yourself for that uh, specific project, but also mainly, you know, the bigger projects you've worked on in general. So that one wasn't bad because um, working on their machine, it's like very reassuring. Like he, he's, he was my mentor and he had my back. You know, there's, there's nothing I can destroy that he can fix. Mm. at that point so i know that whatever i did i will get bailed out in a way so it was easier to take risks um and we had a really good working relationship like i at that point i've already engineered for him for five years i really know how he works how he likes stuff um i you know i really knew his mixes inside out so i was very comfortable with um with doing that project that wasn't scary at all i knew that you know, he'll come after me. And if something sucks, he's just going to tell me this sucks. Like, fix Mm. it. Um, But I did get a very nerve-wracking project, and that was the Neo song. Um, Mm. So full disclosure, I am completely oblivious to hip-hop and R&B, right? I didn't grow up with it. Just I know the very basics and less than that, right? So um, that happened because I worked a lot with this indie artist. 
and I love their managers. We have a really good relationship. And one day they just called me and they told me, you know, we have um, this TV show that needs to be mastered, but it's hip hop. Do you do that? I was like, well, I mean, I can try. <laughs> like, I've never done it, but sure, like, I'm down for it, you know. Especially for new projects, I always give artists the options. Like, I'm happy to do it, and you listen to it. And if you don't like it, like, you don't have to pay me. You know, that's fine. Uh -huh. Like, I want you to love your project. And if I'm not the guy, I'm not the guy. That's it. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, she was doing all the communication with, um, with the produ production house. So... She told me they're going to send you one song. Um, you're going to master it. It just has to match these other two songs. If you, you know, if you can do it, they'll give you the full record. But the producer already did these two, I think it was two or three songs. Um, and it just, you know, it has to be the same level. It has to be like a good, a good continuous mix with it. And she sent me the song and she's like, oh, by the way, Timbaland produces. Click. <laughs> I was mm. like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, uh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> like, I have... In my studio now, uh, you know, a mix by Timbaland, and I have to match his master. Like, that's not mm. an easy task. Um, but I got to it. I finished it. I was like, you know, it sounds good to me. I think they'll like it. Send it over. My wife came came back from work, and I was just talking to her. I was like, yeah, you know, I got this really weird project going on today. Um, they sent me a song. It's an artist I've never heard before. His name is Neo. And she's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, do you know him? He's like, pull up your Spotify right now, please. Look it up. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, wow, this is huge. Like, damn. <laughs> um, and they ended up liking it. So um, I got the rest of the record, you know. All right. But that was for sure, you know, that was the first uh, master I did for a TV show. So hmm. it was like, it's TV, you know, it was a YouTube original series. Um, it has huge names, like Naya Rivera was in it. And, you know, Timbaland produced it. Like, I, I don't know hip-hop, and I know his name very well. <laughs> like, mm. I know his productions. Like, this was no joke, you know. So that for sure was more nerve-wracking. But yeah, it's that. Weird, man, you know. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually glad that worked out. Yeah. That that's, sounded like it could have been a bit embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, what's the worst that could happen? You know, somebody says, sounds like shit, and they move uh, on. Like, yeah, that's true, that's true. I, I do like the fact that you were more humble about it. Like the fact that, the, I mean, the fact that you basically said, like you worked on it and you said, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Yeah, like that's, and I do that's, that with a lot of, you know, a lot of projects, man. Like it's yeah. it's not even like big level versus small level. Even mm -hmm. with, with indie artists, like just, you know, we're collaborating on this thing, especially for mastering. For mixing, it's more time consuming, but for mastering, like, you know, if I lost a couple hours of my day, like, so be it. But if I win you over with, with this master, we're starting a relationship that, you know, you're you're going to be a potential client in the future, hopefully. Right. I think in basically in any field, but I mean, especially in your field, but in multiple fields as well, that's something that can definitely, that's a sort of, that's a, that's a sort of tactic, I guess. That's a terrible word, but that's something people definitely appreciate, clients anyway. For sure. And I do the same with the way I charge, like this goes against any business book you can read and you know so many people have told me like you're gonna get burned but um for mastering like i don't charge people until they're happy with their master mm -hmm. so a lot of times the artist has everything in front of them before i received any money or anything you know so people can run with their songs right um, so far i haven't had that happen and everybody's like no you need to get money before so they can book you and you know but at the same time it's like you're trusting me with your music i think i can trust you that you're gonna pay this Sure, sometimes I have to chase people down for payments, but, you know, I feel like it inspires more trust and it makes it less of a risky move for you as an artist. Okay. Now, I'd actually, not to, Thomas and Jerry, not to put you guys on the spot, but I'd actually like to open it up if, in case you guys wanted to ask a couple questions before we, like, you know, get in, in even deeper. Yeah, so uh, going back to when you were saying how people might burn you for, like, your, um, like your work, that's something that I used to do until like somebody ran away with a mix that I never got paid for. And then like it left like a sour taste in my mouth, but I never went back to, or I never went to, oh, you know, pay me before. Cause I feel like it's like a trust factor. When you make music with like somebody or a group of individuals, you build like a bond 
that like nobody else can explain. Like, so that level of trust, everybody, you should be able to trust each other. So I really thought that was cool because I thought I was like oh, the only weird person who loved getting burned. Uh, for <laughs> sure. And it also depends on the project. You know, if you're going to be locked in with a band for a month, like, sure, you can ask 50% up front because you're going to have expenses to cover and, you know, you never know what could happen. But especially for things that all I'm investing is time, like, I can take mm -hmm. that risk. That's not a big issue, you know? Yeah, when you say that, I see it more as, like, because um, in, 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 in school, we're kind of taught, like, you know, the music side, but the business side is, like, drilled into us, like, you know, It's cool to make music, but you have to know your business. Mm -hmm. But for you, I feel like you found like a nice, happy medium where it's like, no, this is still a business. You still have to pay if you like it. But let's keep this music, right? Let's work together right. to build a cohesive sound. Put it together. And if you like it, pay me. Like, and Man, I that There are so many stories about that. Um, because as producers, we have to, you have to sit in the middle. You know, you have to wear your business hat and deal with labels and deal with managers. And then you have to wear your creative uh, side and deal with artists. And usually the artists don't trust the suits and the suits don't trust the artists, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're definitely dancing a fine line there that you just gotta know your audience and see, you know, see what inspires trust on each side. And I don't know, it's not, I don't think it's easy to navigate. I know of a lot of people that create like fake managers They'll have another email account with a different name so they can, you know, be the bad guy that's asking for money yeah, and asking okay. for these things. Um, but for me, it's just more like it's easier to just get it out of the way. We'll talk about from the beginning. I tell you, these are my rates. This is how you pay me. Um, you know, I love to work in your project and just word it really nice. Be excited about it. Um, another thing is like don't put your name on stuff that you don't want out there. You know, if you're not into the artist or whatever, like, just don't do it because you're not yeah. going to put 100% on it, you know. So genuinely be excited about it. And I think that helps a lot, too, with the creative side. Yeah. So my question is, when I started, when I first did a uh, mix for a client before, um, it was for this girl. And basically what happened was, like, she kept telling me the revisions to do. And I kept doing the revisions. Mm -hmm. And... Over the amount of time, she finally uh, thought that it was at a decent uh, point that she wanted, and she paid me. And the thing is, is that with these, with the, uh, I never asked for compensation, right. and, but she, luckily enough, she's very nice to the point that she felt like I deserve to be compensated for my work. Right. But what would you do in like short, like if you're just starting out as an engineer, and you're on like your first like one or two projects, how would you, would you start by doing projects for free to build a resume or a portfolio? Or would you like start by trying to like get compensated? It's, it's a combination. So you, you got to get compensated for what you bring to the table. You know, if you're new and you're really learning, you don't know what you're doing. It's nice to have an artist that you can experiment with. You know, like if you have a friend that's a drummer, use him, you know, track 35 songs on it and experiment with all these mics in different places and stuff, like knowing the first 10 songs are going to be garbage, you know. Um, and I don't think you have to charge them for that. But if they're going to be an artist and they're going to release the songs that you're working on, there's other ways you can be compensated. I work with some artists that, you know, they don't have the money up front to pay for it. So... It's like, that's fine. We can split royalties. We can, you can sell merch. You can figure out something, you know. There's, there's like a fine line. Is it, a, is it an album or something that is going to benefit you in your career and you're getting that out of it and, and you're happy with that compensation? That's fine. If this is just like you're helping your friend do a record, like maybe she should compensate you. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the rate of, you know, a crazy mixing engineer. It could be as simple as like, you know, you buy dinner every night or, you know, a hundred bucks is nothing. Mm. doesn't matter if you work minimum wage, you can figure out a way to pay, you know, for somebody's, somebody's going to put 20 hours of work into your song. You can pay him $5 an hour for that at least. So it all depends. You really have to see what you're getting out of this arrangement, you know, with each project, especially when you're starting out. But yeah, I feel like a lot of times you'll have to do free work for the credits if the credits are worth it. Got it. 
Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. It's actually very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, always work your angle and also see what they can do. I mean, when you're in college, there's you're going to be recording a lot of people that are around you, right? So mm-hmm. figure out what, what she's going to college for because you might need her in the future. Or now, you know, she's a graphic designer. Cool. I'll do this for you and then you'll do the logos for my studio and you maybe you can make me some nice business cards or a T-shirt or I'm going to put a sample library out. You do all the graphic design, you know. Or there's so much. If, you know, if it's an accountant, be friends with them. Same with lawyers. Make sure that they owe you favors. You'll need them. Hmm. Got it. Yeah, connections are a really great thing. Like, especially when you're in college, it's the easiest time to get connections. For sure. Yeah, like all that money that you're using to uh, be here, I feel like um, it goes to great use. Another thing that I, it's not really a question, but it's more like a, uh, for me, it's really cool to, to get to talk to somebody who's done like, like, experience like almost a lot of, of what the music industry has to, to offer because um i hear about these like you know famous engineers um i see them you know on those wave commercials and stuff like that those right. plug-in commercials like but you never get to meet and talk to somebody who kind of has like done so much so like maybe for you it, it's like for me basically i just see this as like a great opportunity to learn Cause sometimes I do doubt myself a lot. I do say like, you know, like, I don't think I could do this. Like, I, I, I never met anybody. I don't know. But just seeing people like you come and talk to us and give us your time is like amazing. So like, I'm going to tell you a secret about this industry. Yeah. Nobody is out of reach. So all those guys you see in, in the waves commercials, mm-hmm. I've talked to probably 90% of them. If you go to AES, they're all walking around there. If you walk around here in South by Southwest, like, I've seen Andrew Ships a couple times, um, just here, like downtown, literally walking down the street. It's like, oh, there you are. Like, hi, you know. Oh, cool. Um, I was working for a label in 2016, and I really wanted to see how Vance Powell worked, and I had a band that was like a perfect fit for them. So it's just like, you know, just reach out. And I talked to him. We ended up going over there to do um, two songs, and... I just asked him, can I come and like sit back there? Sure, come on over. You know, and I got to see, I mean, if, you, if you're not familiar with Vance Powell, like this dude has Grammys and he's done everything for Jack White. He's on the Chris Stapleton records. Um, he's a brilliant engineer. And, you know, just the opportunities to go sit there just because literally you Google him and email him. Like that's, you know, it's invaluable. Um, there's a lot, like what I was saying before that nobody's out of reach now. There's so much um, online, um, like there's fa- uh, Facebook groups like Control uh, Control Room is incredible. Ramesh Dodagoga runs it. He's a big producer in the UK. We've had sessions there where we're talking to the guys that you see in all the Waves commercials, you know, and you can message so many people. I love it every time you get in there and, you know, you can ask like, hey, do you know, like the other day somebody was asking, um, how do you get the sound of... A Steel Panther record. How could I get you know this this vocal to sit like this? And one of the comments was Jay Ruston, like, "Oh, I did that recording. I mixed that record. Here's what I did, and here's the pictures of my gear and what I used." So I mean, we're you know everybody's online, everybody's on Facebook. Just reach out. Yeah, that definitely will start reaching out. Most definitely. Um, I've been told about the Facebook groups and how like elite they are. So I definitely will be. Definitely be taken out. Thank you so much. For sure. For that secret. No, I won't tell anybody that secret. That's what you asked. <laughs> yes, nobody except anybody who's listening who just so happens to be listening to this podcast. Yeah, you have to be from the beginning to hear it. Now it's gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's see. I'd like to, uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to move on from there. Sure. Now, Thanks, so man. I'd actually like to ask, what's, which projects of the, of the big ones you've been working on or any for that matter which one was the most fun oh that's a tough question so there's been a lot of projects that are not big that have been a lot of fun um and there's been really big projects that have been not so much fun (laughs) but um i mean i really love hanging out with a lot of artists when i was uh, over there at the machine shop like i made really close friends with a lot of um a lot of guys like the miss may i record with it i still talk to those guys very often I still work with some of them. Um, man, 
It's it's definitely a tough question. Like there was, I think the most fun I've ever had in a studio doing a record by myself um, was this band from the UK called Hum. I found them just kind of by coincidence o- over there on a trip. Just I saw them playing in a bar and I was talking to them. I was trying to mix the record and they were more interested in me doing the whole thing. So I talked to the label that I was working at and we got a small budget. And so, you know, I, I want to fly over there, rent a small studio and just go for it. And it's like an alternative rock band, um, very cool sound design stuff that they do. So we ended up renting Brighton Electric, which is where um, Royal Blood did the record, their, their first record that's famous. It just had happened. Architects recorded there. So this studio was getting a bus and it was, you know, it's a beautiful studio, awesome new console. Um, but it's also kind of small and it has a lot of rehearsal rooms and stuff in a very cool town by the beach. Um, so I went there, we did the record. It was it was done in two weeks and it was so much fun. Super concentrated, you know, the most the most focus you can have of like, it's 10 a.m., the studio closes at midnight, we got to go, we got to do all of this right now, you know. Um, and especially anytime there's a band that has flights out, there's a hard deadline. Mm. You better finish that record by that day because you're not moving flights and stuff or international flights, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love working on that. There's so much room for experimentation in a new place and new sounds. And um, yeah, I don't know. That was a really cool record. Um, another one that was pretty cool was there's a movie coming out called Chaos Walking. Um, it's Daisy Riley is in it and Tom Holland. The soundtrack was very different to what I usually do it's very cool and you know those soundtracks are pretty long sometimes so you really get into that mindset and mastering is a little bit different I will say in the fun side because it's by yourself it's like a very intimate experience in a way Um, I usually don't have composers or you know rarely the artist comes to the mastering session I do everything online and you know we just go back and forward that way so I enjoy it a lot, but I wouldn't say it's like it's like a party as much as it is recording with a band. Mm. Um, Crowbot is one of my favorite bands to record. Those guys, you know, they're some of my best friends. We've like it's it's really weird working in a studio doing a big record because you're with these people twenty four seven for a month straight, if not more. So they really become your best friends, and then they're going on tour. And mm-hmm. You might not see them, you know, you see them like once or twice a year. So it's really weird how that happens. You know, you make close friends and then it's like, well, now we can chat online, I guess, or text each other. And that's it. Like this dynamic we had a parting every day, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Each project has its own things, I guess. Right. Yeah, I'd imagine so. That's actually very interesting with like you working on your records. It seems like much more of a sort of, I guess, extroverted experience. Like, right. you definitely encourage it. It's a more social experience, I should say. Oh, for like, sure. Much more than much more than I would have imagined, actually, in terms of the amount of time that you would dedicate to it, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, and like you said, like, I think what I'm doing now, the mixing and mastering part, um, falls more with my personality. Like, it's very introverted work. Um, but yeah, working with a band, you have to be super extroverted. That's something I learned from uh, working with Machine. Like, that dude... You know, he's jumping on the couches and screaming at you when you're when you're working. Like he knows how to hype you. <laughs> hmm. um, and you know, I learned so much from him about that. Like just managing emotions and managing the expectations. Like, you know, if you have a singer, you don't want thirty five people in the room whenever he has to do an intimate performance, or you know, if you have to focus on this part or whatever. But if you need a drummer to hit hard and like throw a party for this like sure get people to yell in the room and like hype him up you know but yeah like you say it's very extroverted versus introverted for sure at times right when you put it that way it definitely does sound fun yeah uh unfortunately i have to move on to a less fun topic COVID 19 it sucks it's here so in terms of that i'd actually like to ask how that's if that's affected your career or your day-to-day workings in any way, like in terms of music tech and in terms of you getting gigs and things like that. And uh, if, if, uh, if at all, are there any positives that have come out of it in terms of your career? So yes and no. Um, it did affect me 
positively because I am so focused being home all day now. I've been extremely productive and especially at first. Um, so I also had a job at, um, what's it called, at Apple doing requests from labels. So I will go in the mornings over there and then come back and I will lose, you know, a couple hours of driving and, you know, by the time that you get your head straight coming back and getting in the studio and chilling and actually getting to getting to the work, like there was a whole, a whole process to that, right? Um, so all of that is gone. Now, I don't have any distractions. I don't have people saying, let's go hang out. I don't have to go anywhere. I can just be here, wake up, work on some music. Um, at first, when the lockdown started happening, it kind of, um, there was like a big uh, crash there because I was trying to build my business online and not focus in this local market. I just want, you know, artists from all over the place. It's all about online. Send me your tracks. I'll make them sound good. A lot of artists that record at home or they record in a, in a studio and they just want, you know, my, my vibe to those tracks. Or even mastering, you know, I get stuff from all over the place. Like right now I'm working for, uh, with a band from California, one from Texas, one from Ohio. Um, so people just send me stuff online and I send it back. So that model really worked well for this case because I literally don't have to go anywhere. You know, I can just do it all from here. Um, right now I'm starting to feel it because, so in this year I got a lot of soundtracks done, right? And unfortunately TV and film st uh, stopped shooting. So now I'm feeling it where everything got pushed back. That movie Run was supposed to come out in May and... Mm you know, it was supposed to be in theaters and it was going to be a big thing and it kept getting pushed because of the pandemic and now they were just like, you know what, send it on, put it out on Hulu, Hulu bought it and, you know, go for it. So mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's like upsides and downsides to that kind of stuff. Um, the bands right now, you, you know, working in this area, there's always a cycle where bands write music and then they test them out, they record them and then they put them out and, the whole thing, you know, depending on the band, could be months, could be a year or more. So right. this pandemic has been bad for bands because they can't, you know, they can't get together as much as they used to and play together. They can't go to a studio and record. They also, they don't have income from playing live. It's hard to sell merch, you know, at first. Like, sure, everybody wants to support, but how many T-shirts are you going to buy from the same artist during the year? Right. Um, so that makes bands strapped from cash and then that's when I start feeling it where it's like, okay, well, there's less, you know, less smaller records being done. I feel like label artists are not, like they're still trying to be productive and they just jumped on the, okay, well, right now let's do jamming from home and let's do, uh, you know, live from the studio and let's do like their content went up. But I feel like a lot of other bands are just kind of hiding because they have to wait. So... I'm seeing how that's slowing down a little bit for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a morale killer as well, sounds like. For sure. But I think that's part of what we're talking about. Get creative, you know, with your business and mm -hmm. figure out a way where this doesn't destroy you. Right, of course. You can't let it destroy you, man. Right. Like, it, like while things may be a little more convenient, definitely less social for one. Right. Yeah. It's good to it's good that you're at least able to take it in stride. For sure. Uh, I'd hope that's the case for other people being affected by this as well. Right. Yeah, man. And I'm lucky that um, so my studio is in the second floor of my house, mm -hmm. so I don't have to pay for a commercial space, which here in Austin is crazy expensive, you know. Um, and just to have an empty studio like that's that's hard for I feel for a lot of people to have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you so you're definitely a little, a little better off. Yeah, for sure. I think I've been able to dodge it. Right. So, def so definitely, prayers go out to everybody else who's a little less better off. Yeah, for sure, man. It's tough. So, um, one I guess one final question before we, I guess, like, wrap up a bit here. Cool. Um, for those of you listening at home or wherever you are, is there any advice that you'd like to give to any listeners who, I guess, want to walk in your shoes, in a sense? Yes. Invest in yourself. Um, don't take for granted that going to college is going to give you the tools to just make it in the music industry, you know. 
there's so much that you need to learn and there's so much um, so many skills you'll only learn by doing it so depending on what you want to do like figure out what that is and put all your time towards it even if you have to do it you know for free at first or just look for people that are doing what you want to do and learn from them as much as you can and just go for it you know mm, i love that i love that a lot yeah mm-hmm. man anytime and you know i'm very approachable i'm online uh, i'm on instagram i'm at alberto mixes you guys can just hit me up you know i'm happy to talk to whoever wants to talk to me so like you said he's on he's got a He's got an Instagram at Alberto Mixes. He's also got a website, albertomixes.com. You can check out a lot of his wilds of work that he's actually put out. Thank you. And I would definitely recommend it because he absolutely knows his stuff. Cheers, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'd like to give a big thanks to Jair Atacora and Thomas DeGroza for helping put everything together. And another big thanks to Toriano Gandhi for spearheading the operation. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, reach out to any of us. We'll be sure to pass them along and take them into consideration. We plan on making more episodes of this podcast in the future, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. And thanks to Nirali Inoa for the song, Have Yourself a Merry Christmas. This has been the Bloomfield College CatCast, and I've been your host, Dante Plummer. Stay safe out there. Holidays.